This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. Another week of college football in the books. Another football Sunday of the NFL. So much to talk about that happened this past weekend and just breaking it all down, making sense of it, talking NFL draft, talking stock up, stock down in terms of dynasty, checking in on the NFL rookies, and so much more. Uh, Running solo tonight, Uh, unfortunately, Matt and Jeff unable to make the podcast, sick children across the board. Uh, So um, I'm going solo tonight, so it'll be a little bit shorter than what we've been doing the last couple of weeks. Uh, and let's get right into it. I want to hit on a bunch of things, really focus on some things on the NFL landscape because there wasn't a lot in the college game that really moved the needle. But there's a couple things I want to talk about. So let's start it off with the NFL draft report. Uh, Desmond Ritter needs to be talked about a little bit. Cincinnati with a huge win over Notre Dame this past weekend. 297 yards, two touchdowns, the 26 yards and touchdown rushing. Ritter is a guy that last year I thought it was going to declare and I thought had a chance to be a third round pick or so comes back to school. And now I think he's still in that day two mix. I don't think he's pushing his way into round one, but the quarterbacks that we expected to be the clear cut round one guys, you know, some of them just haven't performed yet. So there is an opening. And we talked about this a couple times here on the podcast. There is an opening, right? It's not, clear cut anymore Sam Howell and Spencer Rattler at the top I think Malik Willis is in the mix I think Matt Corral is in the mix to be round one and who's to say a team can't really be infatuated with a guy like Desmond Ritter who I have said since two years ago that he reminds me so much of Colin Kaepernick I don't know if it's the long leg stride when he gets going in in terms of his rushing ability I think his arm talent is comparable to a guy like Colin Kaepernick you know, and, and we know why Colin Kaepernick hasn't been in the league for as long as he was. This is the guy who took San Francisco to the Super Bowl. This was a guy that was a playmaker that should have had a long starting career in the NFL, especially with the way the NFL is now and building offenses that cater to individual quarterbacks' skill sets. Desmond Ritter could really intrigue teams. So I'm really interested to kind of see how this works. Can Cincinnati get into the mix to potentially be in the playoff conversation, which would allow us for to see Ritter in more big moments, more big games? You know, I think it's something to really hone in on because he's got the arm talent. He can make every NFL throw. He's got that athleticism. He can make plays with his legs. He can really eat up chunk yards once he gets into the open field. He can throw on the run. And the experience that he has, some teams will really like that. So he's an interesting player that I think is squarely in the day two mix. And we'll see how high, you know, he could go in terms of overall pre- pre- prediction in terms of is it top 50, is it top 75, is it top 100. I, I think it's going to be interesting to kind of see where it falls out for Ritter. But I think a game like this, a win like this, really elevates his stock. And he's going to be a guy, as a guy who came back, who's going to be at the Senior Bowl. He's probably going to be one of the top quarterbacks at the Senior Bowl as a senior. So it's going to be something that he's going to get a lot of attention, I think, in the pre-draft process. It'll be interesting to see what the NFL thinks of a guy like Desmond Ritter. 
Matt Corral, obviously Alabama just continues to, you know, beat up on teams, but Corral held his own against Alabama. I mean, some of it was garbage time, but 21-29, 213 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. Didn't keep Ole Miss in the game. Didn't make any glaring, glaring mistakes. You know, it wasn't the kind of game that would really awe you and, and inspire you to be like, this guy should be the top five pick. But but he didn't fall apart against them. You know, he didn't throw three turnovers or four turnovers. So I think that's something that, you know, uh, people will watch this game and they'll see a ho-hum average game. They'll see him mostly put up those yards and, and stuff once Alabama was comfortably ahead. Um, but it is something to talk about at least. Ken Slovis back out there after that injury a couple weeks ago, uh, 19 of 29, 276 yards and three touchdowns, obviously just continuing to pepper targets to Drake London's way. Slovis is a guy, I think he's in the day two mix. For me, I haven't adjusted it yet, but I think I'm going to put Ritter over him just because I think Ritter offers more intrigue with his athleticism and, and his legs to be a higher level prospect than Slovis. I'm not sure that's a take that is consensus, but I think based on what how I'm seeing certain things at the NFL level, I think Ritter's athleticism would be a little bit of a trump card over a guy like Slovis. And then I did want to make note because Jeff last week talked about Jake Kaner from Fresno State really struggled this week, 28 of 50, three touchdowns, but four interceptions against Hawaii. You know, that's something that as a guy was building a little bit of momentum here to maybe enter that day two mixed because it's such a wide open quarterback class, a four interception game against Hawaii is definitely going to raise some eyebrows. Uh, still haven't gotten a chance to do a deep dive on him yet, but he will be a guy that once I get around to it, he'll be one of the first quarterbacks, if not the first quarterback added to the scouting notebook. If we take this over to the running back position, uh, we mentioned them last week or the week before, but Tyler Algier out of BYU is really starting to get it going. 218 yards and three touchdowns. BYU is all the way up into the top 15 now in the country. Uh, even you know with the loss of Zach Wilson, Algier is still finding rushing lanes. That BYU offense is still producing a, a lot of rushing production. And Algier is a guy who I think you're going to see as a early day three, around four, round five type talent but a guy who is physical, tough, uh, you know, former linebacker, I think it was. So he's a guy that if you're looking for a guy to be a part of a committee, tough, physical, interior runner, but has the burst to get to the outside at times and pick up chunk plays. We saw that last year. We've seen that now this year. Uh, I think he's got some of that. I don't think he's going to be a guy who's going to make you miss a lot in terms of like stop, start, change of direction, agility, or elusiveness. But he's got quick feet for a big man. He's got good burst and acceleration at times. Good inside runner with the ability to kick it outside. He's a guy who I think is going to intrigue some NFL teams. Uh, I love seeing James Cook get an equal workload with Zamir White. We've had that conversation a couple weeks ago. I think by the time the draft rolls around, James Cook stock might be higher than Zamir White's. I think he's a more versatile player. I think his pass catching skill set is very intriguing. I think NFL teams are going to be intrigued by that. Now, if you're looking for more of a physical in between the tackles compliment runner, you know, I'm just using for an example, say Arizona wasn't going to keep James Conner after the year and they wanted to find somebody to pair with, you know, Chase Edmonds. Well, then Zamir White fits Arizona. But for a lot of teams, I think 
James Cook skill set is more of what NFL teams are looking for, that that versatile player, that offensive weapon, a guy who can really be a factor in the passing game, line up in the slot, get him in the perimeter, get him in space. I think Cook's going to be an intriguing player. Keontae Ingram with one of his better games of the year, 14 carries, 124 yards. One of those transfer guys, you know, who I was really intrigued with, hasn't had the year that I thought maybe he would. Maybe we're going to see a second half or a strong finish to the year because I do like the talent there. I thought it was really noteworthy. We've been constantly checking in on Eric Gray and Kennedy Brooks. This past week, Eric Gray only had four carries. So Eric Gray was a guy who was in the top five of my running backs, top five of a lot of running back lists, and he just isn't seizing control of that or being as impactful as a player as I thought he was going to be. I think we're starting to see that this running back class is going to be a very suspect class after you got Brees Hall and Isaiah Spiller. Jerry Ely hasn't had the year that we expected. Kyron Williams for Notre Dame has not had the year we've expected. Eric Gray hasn't broken out like we like many expected. So yeah, I think these guys are talented players that the NFL will like them. But I I think you know you're talking about Brees Hall and and Isaiah Spiller, and they'll probably be somewhere in the top forty or top fifty picks. I think. But then I think it's a lot of uncertainty in terms of what happens after that, right? And I think. The guys that are after it, we just haven't seen them emerge yet to be the guys that I think we thought they were going to be this year. So I think that's something that, you know, some of these guys have great track records. So like, you know, Kyron Williams has been unbelievable. You know, Jerry Neely's had moments of, you know, and I still think teams are going to be intrigued by these guys, but Eric Gray hasn't materialized. Donovan Knight's been good. He hasn't been great. Kevin Harris, same thing. Samir White hasn't been the player I thought that, you know, I think that we thought we were going to get. So this running back group, I think, is a very average group for sure after Brees Hall and Isaiah Spiller. There's some interesting guys who I think are going to be role players or, you know, role player plus. Like, I think Jerry Neely is going to be an impactful player. I still think Harry Williams and Eric Gray could be, but I think there's way more question marks where I thought maybe a couple of those guys were going to emerge to be top 50, top 75 picks, where now I don't, I don't think they're on the trajectory to be in that range. Uh, Brian Robinson has to be talked about. I think he's going to be a date for retype player, but for Alabama, 171 yards and four touchdowns. So, I mean, he's got the Alabama pedigree. He's going to be at the senior bowl. You know, he's a, he's the type of guy who I think if a team's looking for that physical, powerful guy, you know, on date three, he's going to be a guy that intrigues some teams. He's got some decent athleticism for a man, his size and frame. So he's a guy, obviously big game this past weekend. At the wide receiver position, uh, Charleston Rambo, formerly of Oklahoma, now Miami, five catches, 99 yards. He's a, you know, he's a guy who's in the scouting notebook, haven't really talked about him much this year. I think he is who he is. I think he's an outside vertical receiver. He's got okay, he's got good speed, okay speed, not great speed. I think we're looking at a day three guy somewhere in that round five to round seven mix, uh, but he's a guy who should be on your radar. Drake London continuing to dominate nine catches, 130 yards, and one touchdown. I think he has catapulted himself right into the mix after the Ohio State guys, to me, are there to clear one, two. Then I think Drake London is is definitely in the mix there for the third wide receiver. Uh, Really interesting. Mel Kuyper updated his wide receiver rankings, or maybe all his rankings, but I really sort of the, the wide receiver rankings. 
And he had Jamison Williams out of Alabama, who's having a really good year. He had him ahead of John Mechie, and he had him like really high up there in the wide receiver rankings. I think even higher than one of their Ohio State guys. So that really, you know, I think at this stage of Mel Kuyper's career, he's going by a lot of what he hears from his sources rather than him just straight watching the film and evaluating these guys. I think a lot of, he, I'm sure he still watches film, but I think a lot of his things, he's taken into account some of what he's hearing mixed in with some film watching. So to see him have Jamison Williams ahead of John Mechie, I think raised eyebrows and to see him have him as high as he did really intrigued me. So I talked before that Jake Hayner is going to be the first wide uh, quarterback added to the scouting notebook. Um, I mentioned in the past in terms of running back, you know, I think the first guy, uh, you know, who's going to be added is Kenneth Walker out of Michigan state. And I think clearly the first wide receiver that's going to be added is Jamison Williams out of Alabama, because there's just, when you see that from Mel Kuyper, he's not pulling that out of thin air. So he's hearing from people, he's hearing from sources, you know, that this is a guy who, you know, is really thought of highly by people in the know. So he's a guy who I, I think we really got to start putting on our radar. Uh, I know Mel Kuyper's number one receiver was Jahan Dotson, who I am a big fan of, but to have him over the Ohio State guys was very shocking to see for sure. Uh, Zay Flowers, who I haven't talked much about out of Boston College, hasn't had as big of a statistical year as I thought he might this past week, five catches, 70 yards, but he was in that mix with Wendell Robinson, Aeneas Smith. Uh, don't forget the name Zay Flowers. A polished guy, polished route runner, but explosive, can get vertical, uh, can win vertically from the slot, can make things happen after the catch. He's a guy who's going to be in that round three, round four mix. Wendell Robinson of Kentucky, big upset win by Kentucky over Florida, four catches, 65 yards and a touchdown. I think he's a guy that if – Everything off the field checks out. I think he's going to be a guy that goes higher than maybe people are giving him credit for. Really intriguing talent, game breaker, playmaker. That's what NFL teams are looking for. Uh, and tight end position, we've mentioned him a bunch to Hill. Bealinsley, four for 47, slowly being integrated into that Alabama offense that I think by the time we see the playoffs roll around, he's going to make some big plays and big moments and big games. Billingsley's an all-world talent in terms of his actual physical capabilities on the football field. Uh, and I think Alabama is just going to continue to unleash him as this year goes on. Also, uh, you should have Sam Laporta on the radar. Five catches, 49 yards out of Iowa. We know Iowa has produced good tight ends. He would be the first tight end right now that would be added into the scouting notebook once they start adding uh, new names who weren't in the original, uh, you know, Labor Day weekend release. So, you know, we're about a month into the year. I'll probably start adding some guys within the next couple weeks, you know, as we get to five, six games into the season. And Laporta is the tight end that I think is at the top of the list to be added. Kenneth Walker, the running back. Jamison Williams, the wide receiver. And Hayner, the quarterback. So, so that was what I thought stood out this week in terms of the NFL draft report. Uh, if there's anybody you want thoughts and takes on, please do not hesitate to reach out to me on Twitter and ask me for my thoughts on a player, and I will gladly share them with you. If we take this over to the 
Debbie Slant report for this evening. Really, the, the one guy I wanted to talk about, or two guys, is the, the top two running backs, the underclassmen running backs, and that's B. John Robinson and Tank Bigsby. Uh, B. John Robinson this week, 216 and two touchdowns. Uh, Tank Bigsby couldn't get much going in that game against LSU, nine carries, 27 yards. But B. John Robinson is really the guy who I think the question is starting to become B. John Robinson is how high is his ceiling? You know, and, and I think I think when when all is said and done, he's going to be looked at. I don't. He's not going to be looked at as Saquon. He's not going to be looked at on that level. But he's going to be right up there with the Najee Harris's, the Josh Jacobs, maybe even higher than those guys. He's going to be thought of just as highly, if not higher, than the J.K. Dobbins, the Jonathan Taylors you know, and that draft class. So I think you're talking about a guy whose skill set is going to translate. He's got good receiving capabilities. I think he can easily go in the top 20 or top 25. I don't think we're talking top 10, you know, unless the situation just ends up being perfect. I think there's enough teams down the NFL that they're going to stay clear of a top 10 running back pick. You know, Barkley and McCaffrey, you know, are the two last ones. And, I think you got to be a pretty special receiver and playmaker. And I don't think, I think Robinson could be that. I just think it's more of he's going to be in that 15 to 25 range probably than, than top 10. So I do think he's going to be thought of higher than Josh Jacobs, uh, maybe higher than Najee Harris and Travis Ethian, higher than Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, those guys who went, you know, early, early round two. I think Robinson's ceiling is higher than some of those guys. Uh, I think Bigsby's a little bit lower. I think Bigsby's more. I could easily see Bigsby, you know, being thought of below Najee Harris, uh, below what people thought of Josh Jacobs coming out. But that doesn't mean he's not going to be a good talent. I think he's easily, when the time comes, could be a late round one or top 15, 20 picks in round two type player. I think Robinson's ceiling is a little bit higher. I think the question is, how high is that ceiling? You know, could he reach top 10, top 15, or we're talking more in the 20s where we've seen the the top running backs go recently. If they go in round one, we have not seen them, you know, be in that mix in Saquon, obviously, uh, you know, in that we haven't seen many besides Saquon and McCaffrey. And then we had that girly Gordon year and obviously Ezekiel Elliott. You know, recently it's been more late round one to the top 10, 15 picks in round two. I think Robinson has a chance to go higher than the guys we've seen recently. Uh, but I think people are going to think his ceiling is a little bit higher than maybe Najee Harris and Josh Jacobs, uh, but not at the level of Ezekiel Elliott or Saquon or Christian McCaffrey. But I do think it's an interesting conversation. I think he's the clear number one Debbie running back. Uh I would rather have B. John Robinson on my Debbie team and have to wait a year than even have Brees Hall or Isaiah Spiller because I do think his talent level is, is superior to those guys that I would be willing to wait the year, you know, if I could get my hands on B. John Robinson, you know, for one of those other premier backs as well. So let's transition this over. I told you tonight it was going to be a little bit of a quicker episode since I'm going solo. Let's transition this over to the NFL rookie report. Uh, 
we'll start the quarterbacks, you know, because they've obviously been the topic of conversation the last couple of weeks here, Saturday, Sunday, a lot of struggles by the rookie signal callers. And these are high level prospects. And it just shows you how hard it is to make that transition from Saturdays to Sundays, you know, forties, forties quarterbacks, uh, Trevor Lawrence last Thursday night, 17 of 24, 204 yards. Jacksonville seems, you know, seems to be a mess right now. A lot of turmoil going on with Urban Meyer. That just doesn't look like it's going to pan out like we thought. I wouldn't be surprised to see Urban Meyer one and done if he makes the year. Uh, And honestly, that might be the best thing for Trevor Lawrence. I'm not sure. I know I was excited. I remember talking to Sig Bloom. He was excited. We were interested to see this Urban Meyer offense paired with Trevor Lawrence. We thought it could be really unique. Um, but it, it just doesn't seem to be working. I think Urban Meyer has been smacked with a dose of reality that everywhere he's been for the most part, besides when maybe he was at Utah, you know, his skill set of players was was usually far superior than his opponents, that things just came a little bit more naturally easier. And now at the NFL level, not so much. And Trevor Lawrence at, at Clemson was playing with a cast that was far superior most games than just about anybody they we're going up against, except if they were going up against like an Alabama or an LSU. And he has been brought down to reality a little bit. I don't want to see the supporting environment there in Jacksonville ruin Trevor Lawrence. So I kind of hope at some point, maybe uh, urban's out and a different regime comes in to help save Trevor and, and get that ship righted. Uh, Justin Fields got another start this week after his horrendous last week. We talked about that here at Saturday, Sunday. Uh, this week, they allowed him to throw the ball a little bit more vertically down the field. He had 209 yards. Uh, the big thing, though, is still only three rushing attempts for nine yards. Like, it's just he's the type of guy right now is he's still developing as a passer at the NFL level and getting accustomed to everything who should be taking advantage of his legs a lot of RPOs, a lot of design runs, and they are just not putting that into the playbook. It's mind-boggling and stunning, to be honest with you. Uh, Zach Wilson uh, led the Jets to a victory this week over the Titans. He threw for just under 300 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, He had some moments where he continued to struggle, but he really uh, fought through it and then ended up having a really solid game. You saw some bright spots. You saw some moments that get you excited with his arm talent, with his playmaking ability in terms of playing off script. Uh, so I thought this was an encouraging week for Zach Wilson, an encouraging week for Jets fans who who watched him closely over the last couple of weeks prior to this and were very disappointed. I think this week gives you a lot of hope that it, it, there's going to be growing pains for sure. The supporting cast there with New York is very suspect. The offensive line, especially without Mekhi Becton, very questionable. Uh, but this game, when he had some opportunities, you saw Wilson, the playmaker, and I think that was what intrigued not only the Jets, but a lot of teams that had Zach Wilson rated very highly. Uh, we saw Jimmy Garoppolo leave with an injury. Trey Lance comes on. He had some moments. One was a broken play that produced a big touchdown, but he had 157 yards, 9 of 18, two touchdowns rushing, 41 yards on the ground. If he gets a start here, I expect a lot of RPOs. I expect a lot of easy reads uh, because you see the progression, reading coverages. That is very much a work in progress, as we knew it would be with him in, in terms of the limited you know game time he had. But I think you still see, even in bits and pieces, 
why he's such an exciting prospect, why for fantasy he could really be an X factor with that mobility and athleticism, but also have the arm talent to push the ball vertically down the field. And then we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Mac Jones, who almost led New England to an upset over Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks on Sunday night, 31 of 40, 275 yards and two touchdowns. I know Jeff and I were talking uh, off air about Mac Jones, and we said right now he's looked the best of all the rookie quarterbacks, and it's kind of, you know, it's kind of surprising based on you know how much people were down on him relative to the other guys, and, and myself included. You know, Jeff Jeff took a much more positive stance on Mac Jones, especially when he thought uh, the San Francisco, you know, as a team he follows closely, was thinking about legitimately taking him at three. Did a deep dive on him. He came away understanding why a team would like him. And yeah, I think Mac Jones checks off a lot of boxes in terms of the intangibles. Everything you read about him, work ethic through the roof. His understanding of defenses, his reading coverages and reading defenses, mental processing, his ability to go through progressions. I think that's why New England probably liked him and Belichick. And, and you're seeing that from that perspective, the upstairs perspective that takes to be a quarterback. He seems more advanced than any of the other guys right now, speaking in terms of Trevor Lawrence and Justin Field and Zach Wilson and you know hard to really judge him against Trey Lance based on the limited action we've seen of Trey Lance but it just seems like Mac Jones upstairs is a little bit more advanced than these guys my thing is New England is still protecting him very much in terms of what they ask him to do and I think when push comes to shove even if he's the most ready right now and has shown the ability to be most ready I still think his ceiling is the least of the of the of the rookie quarterbacks. I just think it is lacking in terms of physical traits. I think it was the same reason why I had him fifth of the rookie quarterbacks and not higher because I I do think the athleticism and the arm talent of the other guys is much higher. I think their upside is much higher. But as we've seen, guys with great physical attributes don't always pan out because there's so much else that goes into the quarterback position. So I'm not going to sit here and say definitively Mac Jones is not going to be better than one, two, three, or even all four of these guys. I don't think so. I'd still rather Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, and Trey Lance be, you know, my team's quarterback. I still think those guys are going to have better pro careers, but Mac Jones has already established himself as a starter, as a guy who, again, I think he's going to live in that world of Andy Dalton, Jimmy Garoppolo, who led San Francisco to a Super Bowl, Kirk Cousins. That's who I think he is. And if he has a good supporting cast around them, I think he could be a winning quarterback. I think he could be an average to above average starter, but I think there's just a limit to his ceiling. Then I think teams are going to constantly call games to mitigate some of his shortcomings. And that's fine. And he may be better than some of these other guys who just maybe never pan out because it's the processing and it's the reading defenses and it's the work ethic, things that maybe we don't know behind the scenes that lead to these guys. But I know the other four guys have better physical attributes, but that's not what goes only into the quarterback decision. If it was that easy, it would be very easy to scout and evaluate quarterbacks. And we know that is not the case. So I think it'd be in- it's interesting that Mac Jones looks the most ready in advance right now. But there's still like people like me who are saying, well, yes, but I still would prefer the other guys in terms of long term. You know, I think that opens up a discussion on, you know, 
what what are we looking for in terms of high end upside or just solid? And I, I think that's the question, you know, internally that everybody who evaluates and scouts and watches film and breaks it down has to ask themselves. And we take this to the running back position. Ken Gainwell continues to be more and more involved in the Philadelphia Eagles offense. Uh, three rushes for 31 yards, six catches for 58 yards, found the end zone as well. Ken Gainwell, I think, is on that trajectory to be Naheem Hines plus. That's who I thought he could be. But I do think he's got a skill set that I'm not saying he's ever going to be Austin Eckler, but could he be Austin Eckler light where he could handle a heavier workload? I do think he can be. I do think he's a guy that can handle more of a workload rushing the ball than a guy like Naheem Hines. So I think he's a guy that wait for him to have a down week or two and then see if you can try to steal him in your dynasty leagues, get him on your team now, maybe even slightly overpay because I think the writing is already on the wall that he's going to be an integral part of that Eagles offense moving forward. And I'd rather buy now than wait to him to even seize a maybe bigger opportunity that might be coming down the line in that backfield. Uh, Trevor Hubbard replacing Christian McCaffrey uh, due to the injury at 13 carries, 57 yards, couple catches. Listen, I think Trevor Hubbard has a role in the NFL. I think he could be a part of a committee. I think he could be a role player. I still have major questions about whether he could handle a heavy workload or be the lead of a committee. I still think his inside running is a little bit suspect. I think his ability to withstand contact and absorb contact isn't at that level. But if you get him in space, if you put him in, in the right positions, if you ask him to be a change of pace guy, I think he could be an impactful player in that role. Trey Sermon got another opportunity with Eli Mitchell at 19 carries, 89 yards, clearly his best game. Uh, I think he looks okay. I don't think he looks great yet. I think he looks okay. He's still not being used much in passing downs. I think that's going to be the case for a while. I think it'll be interesting to see what Kyle Shanahan does when Eli Mitchell is healthy, when Jeff Wilson comes off of IR. Uh, or to PUP, whatever he's on, uh, because how much does Sermon work get when those guys are available? Does he seize control of the backfield, or does it become a three-way committee? Does it become a two-way committee? I think those are interesting questions as, as we kind of see uh, that unfold in San Francisco. If we take this to the wide receiver position, the only things that I think really are worthy uh, of getting into uh, for this week is two things. One, uh, I'll start with uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, six catches, 70 yards. Listen, we talked a lot about him before the season started, that he was a guy that a lot of people on draft Twitter, myself included, thought was a day two pick. We're high on him, good route runner, pro ready, uh, an ideal, you know, Z receiver or, you know, or slot receiver. And then he has this open opportunity there in Detroit. So I think he's going to get a lot of opportunity. I did think people – overreacted a little bit and used their bias of liking him, you know, and being a name that we recognize for years in the Debbie community that I thought people were taking him too high in rookie drafts because just in case, just because he's getting work now doesn't mean that Detroit doesn't go out and get a free agent receiver in the off season and invest a top two pick in a wide receiver. And then all of a sudden I'm on Ross St. Brown gets pushed to third in the wide receiver pecking order. And oh, by the way, they have TJ Hawkinson and DeAndre Swift. All of a sudden he's fifth in the pecking order of targets. So I think that was always my be careful because he doesn't have the draft capital to kind of be force fed targets and force fed a starting role long-term. And if they do make upgrades after this year, 
wide receiver is going to be high on their priority list, high on their target list. And in a blink of an eye, he can go from maybe being their most talented receiver to their third most talented receiver. And I just thought he was getting pushed up over guys that he shouldn't have been, which leads me to my next player. And you know, I'm going to talk about him. That's Kadarius Tony. Finally, it took a Sterling Shepard injury. It took a Darius Slayton injury. Giants finally unleash him. He finally plays starter starter reps. And for the good chunk of that game, until Kenny Galladay really took over late, the Giants looked like they were running their offense through Kadarius Toney. And he was getting a lot of opportunities. I think he had nine targets. Kadarius Toney is a guy that should now be a part of the a focal point of the Giants offense. The Giants offense in retrospect, should run through Saquon Barkley, Kenny Galladay, and Kadarius Toney. Those are the three players on the Giants that put defenses in a bind more than anybody else the Giants can use on offense, you know, even more than Sterling Shepard. But what we saw from Kadarius Toney this week and why people should be so excited about him is he's got a couple elite, special, rare, whatever word you want to use, attributes about him. His stop-start acceleration, his stop-start ability, his change of direction, his movement skills, they are elite, special, rare, pick whatever adjective you want to use to describe them. His yak ability, special. He was so pigeonholed because it was the Giants, because he didn't check off boxes like market share or early breakout age or whatever other stat you want to use for a guy who never truly played the wide receiver position completely until his final year at Florida, he was pigeonholed and people thought it was a a terrible first round pick. But the NFL thought very differently. We knew Jacksonville liked him. The Giants obviously liked him a lot. Green Bay liked him a lot. New Orleans liked him a lot. There were a lot of teams in the 20s that wanted to get their hands on Kadarius Toney if the Giants didn't pick him. And one game, one game of him being part of the offense, I think you started to see why that movement skills, the yak ability, and he ran some good routes. And that's still the game. That still is one area that needs to be developed, right? He His route running appears to be better than it is to a natural observer because of his movement skills, because of how quick he is. But he's still got a lot of growth and development and refinement to do as a route runner reading defenses, you know, understanding leverage and, and, you know, a lot rounding out his breaks and, you know, knowing when to not take an extra step. There's a lot of things about his game that need refinement. He dropped two balls still. That's a, you know, something that he's got to clean up, but that's what it is. His ceiling is so high because he's got a lot of room and growth for development. Not a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown, he's a finished product, basically. He's not going to get that much better. We know what he is. He was he was playing for years in college. Kadarius Tony is a guy who just with his yak ability, just with his stop-start and elusiveness and agility and change of direction and movement skills could be an integral part of an offense just from that. If he rounds out and refines his route running, he could be a really special player. And I think it took one game for people to start changing their tune on Kadarius Tony. My guess is all those people that lauded it a horrendous pick, all those people that took Michael Carter or Trey Sermon or Amon Ross St. Brown or Pat Fryermuth or whatever, whoever else 
you know, before Kadarius Tony in rookie drafts is going to be regretting it sooner rather than later because he's going to be a fantasy force. It's just a matter of when, not if. Is it? Does he go back into the back burner when Sterling Shepard comes back? I hope not, but who knows? The Giants aren't the smartest organization. They're definitely not the smartest coaching right now, but you saw what he's capable of. He's going to cause fits for defenses, and he's only going to get better in terms of his route running that he's a guy who's not just going to be a gadget player. That that misconstrued notion that that's who he was was miscalculated, misguided, and people didn't watch him. And just like Brandon Ayuk last year showed there was a lot more to his game than maybe his college film, I think Kadarius Tony is going to prove that as well, that he was asked to do one thing, but he's got more in his, his arsenal. But even if he just had what he had in college, he's going to be a guy. The, the NFL is a space league right now. And he's a guy who can make plays in space. So I think stock big time up on Kadarius Tony. A lot of people are, are going to be kicking themselves uh, for for pushing him down rookie boards because of the landing spot and whatever other reasons, you know, bias that caused that to happen. If we take this over to the final segment of the night, which is the Dynasty Fantasy Report, a couple things I want to talk about. We're, we're on the topic of Kadarius Tony, so let me start with Daniel Jones because. Daniel Jones is a guy that, just like for the longest time, people had preconceived notions about Josh Allen. Daniel Jones is the same thing, and he is not making strides yet on a Josh Allen level. I don't don't take me for what I'm talking about right now to think that. But people want to bury Daniel Jones because of their pre-draft takes. And if you take the pre-draft takes out of it, and you evaluate him for what he's done now in his two years and a few games. He had a really strong rookie year. 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. His one issue on a bad football team with lacking playmakers and a terrible offensive line and Saquon Barkley in and out of the lineup due to injury. He had 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, and looked good. The issue year one was taking sacks and and lose, and not protecting the football. But but the rest of his game rookie year was really strong. You look around right now and see rookie quarterbacks struggling, guys who were more physically talented, guys who I liked far superior to than Daniel Jones in Lance and Fields and Wilson and you know and Trevor Lawrence. And look what look how much they're struggling as rookies right now. And then think to yourself that Daniel Jones went out as a rookie and threw 24 touchdowns to 12 interceptions and had a couple monstrous games his rookie year. And I'm sure some of these rookies are going to get there. But right now, most of these quarterbacks haven't had any monstrous games. They've had either bad games or average games. Daniel Jones had a couple monster games his rookie year. Washington game stands out. I think it was a game against Detroit, his first game against Tampa Bay. Right off the bat, those are three games that are better than any game any rookie quarterback so far this year has had. That'll change, I'm sure, as the year goes on. But people just honed in on those fumbles from year one because they wanted to hate him. Then year two came and everything went wrong. He was injured. Saquon Barkley got hurt. The offensive line was atrocious. Jason's Garen play call was atrocious. And without a doubt, Daniel Jones regressed. And the question marks began of maybe the people who hated him and disliked him were right. And I, I even said, I started to question whether or not he was going to be as good as, as I thought after his rookie year. But now four games into his third season, he's played really well this year. 
He has one turnover. I'm not even counting the Hail Mary from this past weekend. He had one fumble the first week of the season trying to make a play, diving headfirst when he was running. No interceptions. No other fumbles. Still makes some poor decisions here or there. He's got to work on, but he's got playmakers now. They finally are saying this past game, they're finally letting him rip it. He's making plays with his legs. His stock is up in fantasy. The 2022 draft class at quarterback looks very shaky. I don't think anyone definitively can say any of the guys coming out are far superior to Daniel Jones that the Giants are going to move on at the end of the year, even if they have a regime change. I mean, if things fall off the rails the rest of the year and he throws tons of interceptions and he looks terrible, sure, things can change. But right now, I don't even think right now the Giants are thinking, even if this year goes sideways, if Jones continues to play like he's had all four weeks, he was great in the Washington game. He was unbelievable in this New Orleans game. Unbelievable. I think it was his best game ever. So I think take advantage of the fact that people still hate Daniel Jones and think he's terrible and think he's a joke because pre-draft bias and go out and try to get him, especially in two quarterback leagues or if you're desperate in one quarterback leagues. Because if he's a long-term starter with his rushing ability and now what he's starting to show in terms of his throwing ability and paired with the playmakers he now has, Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Toney, I think he could be a guy in that 15, 14 to 16 range comfortably, even if he doesn't take massive strides. That's worth something in fantasy football. But I think he's mar- I think he's valued much more like the 25th quarterback or the 23rd quarterback. So I think there's an opportunity to go get him now. I think his stock is up. I think it, I think it could continue to go up, and you could take advantage of people disliking him because of pre-draft bias. Robert Woods, I, there's no way to say it but stock down right now. He scored a meaningless late touchdown in the game, but he just is not as involved as what I expected. They're using Van Jefferson a lot. They're using Tyler Higby a lot, and obviously Cooper Cup is the focal point of that offense, and it's just kind of left Robert Woods a little bit of not what we expected. I expected him and Cooper Cup to be wide receiver twos. Maybe one of them emerged to be wide receiver one, but either both of them are going to comfortably be wide receiver twos, if not high-end wide receiver threes, where you can count on week in and week out. I thought Matthew Stafford being there was maybe going to lead to his best career year for Robert Woods, and right now it's just not materializing. So. I think right now you got to say stock down. I wouldn't be looking to sell him cheap because I do think it can turn around, but we do got to acknowledge that he is not off to the start that I think we expected. A little bit about, a little bit about Brandon Ayuk. I know he's playing more now, but he's still, I thought we were about to see before the year started. I think most people thought we were about to see a breakout year, like breakout year, you know, on a Calvin Ridley type level. And then maybe he was never going to get that kind of volume, you know, but Terry McLaurin, like I, I think people thought like he was going to be a breakout wide receiver. Like people thought CD Lamb is going to be this year and he was going to seize control, be that number one guy. And now you kind of wonder with how good Debo's played and Debo being a young receiver and all about yak and that schemed it fits him perfectly. Is Brandon Ayuk ever going to get back to what we thought he was going to be at the end of his rookie year? And how do we appropriately value that? Because prior to the season started, he was in most people's top 15s. And now I think, I know I, when I made moves last week, I got him and Debo closer together in the, in the low 20s, but I still had Brandon Ayuk higher. Next time I update it, I think I got to flip him. For right now, 
it's not that Brandon Ayuk is so much more talented than Debo Samuel that if he's not being utilized right now, has he fallen out of favor a little bit with Kyle Shanahan? Is it something else? And is it just going to flip back the other way? I'm not sure. So I think you got to be a little bit cautious on Brandon Ayuk. If someone wants to give you top value for him, I think you might take it right now. Uh, I wouldn't sell cheap under any circumstance because I still believe in the player. I believed in him last year when people were questioning him because he was a Juco transfer and he didn't have the breakout age. Same thing when I talked about Kadarius Tony. He didn't have the breakout age. He didn't have the market share. All that nonsense, even though the league said they liked him. Daniel Jeremiah said the league liked him. People had him a first-round grade on him. Kyle Shanahan loved him. Whatever is going on right now, not sure. Do I think he's going to be a fantasy factor again? Yeah. If I can get him, I'd buy him. But I'm not going to overpay for him right now because there's got to be a little bit of reservation in terms of what's going on right now there. And if Debo is emerged to be their alpha and George Kittle's there and they're going to run a lot, you start to just wonder how many guys can be high-end performers. We thought it was going to be Ayuk rising up and Debo maybe taking a step back this year in terms of consistency, but maybe we were wrong. Maybe it's going to be flip-flopped and maybe Debo's the clear wide receiver two type and Ayuk's going to fall more back down to wide receiver four, where I think maybe we thought that was where Debo was going to be a wide receiver three, four type. Maybe they have flip-flopped a little bit. Uh, Jalen Hurts, I know he continues to put up fantasy production, but you watch him closely. He did not play well in that Kansas City game. Lots of wide open missed throws, which is why box score hunting is very, you got to be very dangerous and you got to be very scary in terms of who you listen to. If you watch that game, the amount of missed throws that he had wide open were dangerously scary for an NFL quarterback, starting quarterback. I'm not giving up on him. I like Jalen Hurts as a player, but just understand if the situation arises that you can sell really high, and that's hard for quarterbacks. I get it. But if a situation arises that people are just misguided by the stats you're seeing and you can get a good offer for him, take it. Because I'm not sure Philadelphia is sold on him. We've heard them be in the Deshaun Watson rumblings forever. They traded for Gardner Minshew. Not that I think they think he's the answer. They have potentially three early first-round picks next year, their own. The Colts, if Carson Wentz plays 75% of his snaps, and Miami's. So if they like one of these other quarterbacks, even though I think the 2022 class is not going to be as good as we thought, but they still might like Malik Willis. They might still like Spencer Rattler. They might still like Sam Howell. It, you know, They may still like you know Matt Corral more than Jalen Hurts. And maybe based on these picks or a trade up, they have the, the ammunition to go get them. Maybe this ammunition lands them to Sean Watson. I do think there are some long-term concerns with Jalen Hurts. I wouldn't be opposed to cashing out high if the situation arises due to his gaudy-looking fantasy stats, which don't really line up with what he's actually doing on the football field. Uh Got to be a little bit concerned about the Cowboys in terms of their pass volume. I think part of Dak being as high as he was in most fantasy rankings, Dynasty Redraft, were expecting a heavy volume. We saw it that week one against Tampa. We have not seen it since. And 
by tune, that is hurting C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper a little bit. And I still believe in C.D. Lamb. I still think he's going to be a big-time star. Uh, but I thought maybe we were going to have a more consistent breakout this year, and we just haven't seen it week to week just yet. I, I'm still holding tight on that one. Uh, I think Cooper is also suffering because I do think Lamb is kind of emerging to maybe be the lead alpha there. And then if they're not passing as much, his role gets diminished a little bit as well. Uh, but again, I think this Dallas offense, I'm still a believer in. So I'm not panicking yet, but I could see somebody saying it's not going to be what we thought. Should I still sell high on name value? I would not sell off C.D. Lamb. Uh, I would probably not sell off Dak. I may sell off Amari Cooper uh, if the price was right. And depending on where I was as a team, contender, rebuilder, you know, that could impact things a little bit. And then the last thing I'll end with tonight is Cordell Patterson. What to make of it? I'm not really sure. He's a 30-year-old still playing 20 to 25 snaps a game, but they've been highly impactful snaps. I think he could be a guy that has a really strong RB2 type year this year. Is it sustainable? I'm not sure. I don't think so based on those targets. But right now, you know, running back production is very poor. I think for Dynasty, if you have them and you're a contender, you kind of ride it out. But if you're not a contender, if you're running a mill average team or, or rebuilding, I think you sell as high as you can sell them right now off of this three touchdown game. And you try to get a early second round rookie pick. You try to get a young player that maybe is struggling right now. And you try to sell off Cordell Patterson to a contending team that wants to buy into this narrative. I just don't think sustainability long-term in dynasty, this is going to pan out. So I would try to look to get out now and get as much as I could for him. Uh, my guess is Atlanta is very much in the running back market next offseason, whether it's free agency or most likely the draft. And Patterson could be brought back in some role because he has been really good. I just think for fantasy, sell high. This is one of those instances where I think selling high, just like I told you all of last year with James Robinson, obviously very different player, undrafted free agent last year, Cordell Patterson, 30-year-old veteran who's been kind of all around the league. But same thing is going to hold true. I don't think it's sustainable. I would try to sell high right now unless you're a contender and you need his production, then okay, I get it. I still would probably try to sell him for a guy who I like more uh, who I think might even have more value later this year, even though maybe right now he doesn't. But I would try to get out on Cordell Patterson and sell high on him. So there it is, guys. Dynasty Fantasy Report, NFL Rookie Report, Dynasty Slant Report, and the NFL Draft Report for this week. If you enjoy what we're doing, please get over to the website, ssfootball.com. It's the quickest and easiest way to get there. Check out our premium content tab. For $9.99, you get access to all our premium notebooks. You get two immediately, the 2022 Scouting Notebook. It has like over 80 player profiles, detailed scouting reports already, strengths, functional areas, developmental areas, how they win, NFL role, NFL projection, and fantasy spin. Ray talked about how I'll be adding more guys to that soon. 
uh, during the season, obviously a lot more after the season, updating my re- my reports on the guys that are already in there. You get our rankings notebook, which has all our draft eligible rankings. It has our Devi rankings. It has our dynasty rookie rankings. It has our overall dynasty by position rankings by Jeff and I constantly being updated every you know couple of weeks in there as well. And then next April, you get the NFL draft projections notebook for the 2022 NFL draft that has tabs for every position, offense and defense, uh, their measurements, their combine testing, and a quick synopsis of how they win and some developmental areas for over 400 players. And I try to predict on tabs for the first round, the first three rounds, and then every pick, how I expect it to go off the board by position. Uh, it is a great resource for the NFL draft. It comes out a week or two before the draft. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of Jeff, and our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, thank you for joining me this evening, and I look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.